I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Well, they don't like me. It's time for Must Have Seen TV, the podcast dedicated to the sitcoms of the 20th century from I Love Lucy to News Radio. I am your TV guide, Brett White, and I'm also a reporter-producer for Decider.com. This week, I'm joined once again by returning guest and fledgling comic book author, Paul Montgomery. Hello, Paul. That's me. Hey, Brett. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> yeah, it's been a very long, been a very long time. It's funny because I've I've actually been watching. Uh, we've been playing Taxi on on oh. Hulu at work. So uh, and that's that's what we talked about the last time I believe. Yeah. I'm, so, well, you also uh, work yeah. in a garage. So is that like? I mean, is that like doctors watching Saint Elsewhere? <laughs> it's um. Well, th- it's, it's more so real. that the, it, it it's very Mayberry in, mm. in our little village. Um, I live just uh, I live in Philadelphia, but we work just outside of Philly. It's family business, and um, that I. I I expressed on Twitter this week that the regular it's sort of like cheers without the alcohol. Yeah. And everyone's Cliff. Like all of the regulars are Cliff <laughs> Clayton at, at his at his worst, at his least adorable. Um no, it's I mean it's as a writer, it's it's a pretty fun place to work just to just to observe just to, for the people watching. Yeah. The behavior, um, the people who come in and ask for me to put gas in their tires. I said, No, ma'am, I don't think you want that. I don't think you want gas in your tires. <laughs> I mean, you should do it once just to see what it does. But it's happened. It's happened more than once, and it's different people ask for it, and so that that's some weird phenomenon. But anyways, I mean, I feel like um, this right here is a, that's a sitcom I want to see. I mean, I'm trying to think of like sitcoms that have happened at like auto repair places. I think I mean, so like, like you mean you know, Taxi has the has the cars, and then Laka is a mechanic, but they don't yeah. really, you know they don't go into that too much. But I don't know. In the past, you know, year and a half since you've been on, you did publish a comic book. That's true. Uh, we we came out. Uh, so me and my co writer David Acampo, uh, we we wrote this script, or we wrote part of a script for something called The Margins about four years ago. And uh, that has been so that has been in the works with artist Amanda Donahue for for all the time. And uh, we have great publishers in um, Fanbase Press. Uh, it's a wonderful couple out of Los Angeles. And so it's, it's just a small press kind of kind of deal and a, and a small printing. But um, you can get that at the margins dot com. And it's very like meta about 
uh, creators and uh, um, imagination and sort of that cool world idea of, of what if your your imaginings start to come to life. And uh, there's a lot about gatekeeping in there. So that's that's sort of the, the personal bit of it. Nice. And uh, you can get that and you can also get it on Comixology. It's just 10 bucks and uh, or the marginscomic.com through Fanbase Press. Uh, it's also on Amazon. Uh, we're a third-party seller there. That That's fun, too. Um, and then, uh, uh, so that was a four-year project. <laughs> and then right after that, we had a four-month project where uh, my friend Connor from ifanboy.com, uh, where I use the podcast, um, approached me uh, and Dave about this, uh, this video game property, uh, Dreadnought, uh, which is um, available on Steam, and uh, they also have their own launcher as well. And um, it's a it's a space combat game. And he said, "Hey, you want to uh, make a comic about this this video game that doesn't quite have a narrative to it?" And so we had a lot of um, ability to to work with the uh, with the games team oh, wow. to develop some some story stuff. And we did sort of this one shot called Dreadnought Legends. Uh, and we called it Ghosts of Sinley Bay, which is sort of your starting point where you learn how to pilot the ships, and that's where all the space pirates hang out. So it was this really fun opportunity to tell kind of a Star Wars story. Yeah, that's super rad. Yeah, so it's like this this space pirate kind of thing. And um, uh, we got to tell a really fun story um, with uh, an artist, uh, Priscilla Petrates, who uh, uh, Dave met through the DC Comics workshops. He did the writing workshop, yeah, and she yeah, was yeah. in the artist workshop. Um, and, uh, so he, he knew her from that and she was fantastic to work with, um, Brazilian artist. And, um, and then I got a weird text one day from Connor that said, Hey, what if Bill Sienkiewicz did the cover? <laughs> and I was is there another Bill Sienkiewicz? It seems like I would, like if I was coming into the comics industry as a Bill Sienkiewicz, I would be like Bill F. Sienkiewicz or like, or I would make <laughs> William Sienkiewicz. No, 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 the Bill Sienkiewicz. Like, Oh, from Electra and the those the, the X Men books, Moon Knight, New uh, Mutants, like oh, legend. oh my God! And so, one of my favorite artists, and so to get an opportunity where he's going to come on board and and draw a cover with characters that we created. That's uh, rad. You know, it's a licensed, you know, thing. It's like those characters are, are characters that we came up with. Um, yeah. And so that was kind of nuts, as just as a comics fan uh, for all these years to. And that's my first my first single issue uh, cover is a Bill Sienkiewicz cover. So um, <laughs> we'll see where we go from here in 2019. But um, I'm excited to 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 do some more projects. We'll yeah. see where the future takes us. But uh, we've been having fun, me and Dave, doing these books together. So um, we'll see what happens next. Off to a good start. Yeah. Now from uh, Space Pirates to the exact opposite of that. <laughs> I would say yeah, pretty close. Yeah, I was wondering why, why did you call me on for this particular <laughs> episode? <laughs> this week we'll be traveling to December 22nd, 1966. Murderer's Row rolled the box office. Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys topped the charts. And ABC aired the That Girl episode, Christmas and the Hard Luck Kid. Paul, you must have seen Christmas and the Hard Luck Kid before today. I, I was going to say not not the first airing. I wasn't around then, <laughs> but um, I, I believe I'd seen this before. Um, but I, you know, I maybe once before. Um, it's not <laughs> what is one your that history? I revisit every kid. It's not part of my Christmas tradition. Let's say it's not. It's not like oh, it's it's not the holidays until right. I see I that, see that, that girl. girl episode with Linus in it. Yeah, that um, 
So, like, that girl was always a second-tier old show for me growing up because it was a TV Land show. I don't think it ever aired on Nick at Night. And so there's, like, the Nick at Night wave that I was obsessed with for as long as I can remember. And then there was, like, when I was in middle school, I think, is when TV Land launched. And when we finally got TV Land, it was like, oh, my God, what are all these shows? And then I would... I was obviously gay because I was like a middle schooler that was obsessed with watching that girl. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like in the summer, I was uh, super into watching this show. Um, But then like I fell off of it and I did not watch it until a couple years ago. I think probably 2014, 2015 when I noticed that it was on Hulu, which Hulu has a stealth library of just old shows. Like the original Dennis the Menace sitcom is on there. Right. Like right. they don't advertise that. If you just keep searching around, you'll find it eventually. And I, I put on uh, Christmas in the Hard Luck Kid, and it has it has become a uh, a Christmas essential for me. Definitely over the past like three or four years. There's no snow in it, Brett. There's, there's no snow. <laughs> there is very pointedly some rain. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so this week on Must Have Seen TV, we'll be talking about the That Girl episode, Christmas and the Hard Luck Kid. It is the 16th episode of season one and was written by James L. Brooks and directed by John Ehrman. Here's how Hulu describes the episode. As her shift as an elf for a department store Santa Claus concludes, Anne tells Donald about her stint as a teacher in a boarding school trying to bring good tidings and joy to a boy who won't be able to go home for Christmas. Paul, how accurate is that description? Well, that, I'm sure. <laughs> and that's it, basically. <laughs> that's that's kind of, yeah. That gets, you, that gets you into, that's a good sell. It's a good pitch. For this episode, because that is, I think it leans too heavily on the department store part. Because right. that's very it's much just a framing just device, a framing and device. you don't really have many adventures there. No, no. Uh, and this also, like Donald and Anne, her name is also Anne Marie, which right always First name Anne, last name Marie. Yeah, and when her father or mother are on there, they are Mister and Mrs. Marie. It always just reminds me of how that's not a last name. Like I don't think that's an actual last you know, name. It's, it's it's weird for me because my uh, well not weird but it, it, you know it it was remarkable to me because uh, my fourth grade teacher was named uh, Miss Marie oh. and it, her her last name was uh, so her full name was Marie Rob but oh. um, for some reason she went but it was like spelled oddly it was like R A A B E I think so I don't know they just always referred to her as Miss Marie <laughs> and and so I. Seeing a teacher referred to as Miss Marie by her kids was kind, of, you know, kind of nostalgic for me. <laughs> this episode hits hits uh, hits all the corners. Um, so yeah, the episode opens with Donald in line, played by Ted Bessel. Bessel, Ted or, Bessel. yeah, Ted Bessel, uh, in line for Santa, um, and he's making small talk with a woman that is uh, standing behind him who has a gift she's there to deliver to one of Santa's helpers. Um, and the so the thing that I think is really fun about this show is that every cold open ends with that girl Mm -hmm. someone saying that girl someone saying that girl and the camera zooming in on Anne marie on marlo thomas she and my son tommy once spent christmas together oh Oh. Uh, which one of santa's helpers is that over there that girl Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a a fun idea yeah um, the creation of this show is something I'm very interested in. I should have read up more on. I know it was created by two of the writers from the Dick Van Dyke show. Right. So it has a pedigree there. And Marla Thomas is herself the daughter of Danny Thomas. 
mm-hmm. who is one of those like sitcom royalty people. I was gonna say yeah, sitcom royalty is I think not an, yeah, not an unfair way. I mean, the Andy Griffith show started as a spinoff right? of the Danny Thomas show, and then the Andy Griffith show then begat you know Gomer Pyle and like all the Mayberry shows. Mayberry RFD, yeah, starring Ken Barry. Oh, the late great Ken Barry. Oh, yes. I love Ken Barry. Uh, yeah. Uh, um. So it is. So this show has. It's also considered like it's obvious. It's so obviously a predecessor to the Mary Tyler Moore show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it already just because like this episode was written by James L. Brooks, who was one of the co-creators of the Mary Tyler Moore show, and then also they have the same haircut. <laughs> like mm-hmm. they, you both got that the the '60s flip do. Single woman, like you know, going about her career. Yeah, uh, it's not about catching that man and you know or like you know find finding you know domestic bliss right it's it's just it's just about you know being yourself and 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 you know so very uh i, w- I would say before it's time but also very timely i think you, even even if you look at the, the credit sequence uh for that girl like you know she's just, you know just running around new york and, yeah. and, and having adventures and like you can see how that evolves into the the mary tyler moore show opening as well yeah where she's so, like, wa- running around it uh minneapolis yeah it's very very similar and if you haven't seen it it's sort of like the uh the abridged perfect strangers opening (laughs) yeah not the full one where we get like the full story from where they're coming from but like what but one person instead of buddies yeah yeah like even the donald uh her co her co-star is hardly even in the opening credits i even think that the later ones he's not in at all Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, this is the show is very much about that girl. I don't uh, like Donald. He he, eh, you know, he's not why you watch the show. Donald just tossing the hair of these kids in line, not even knowing who they are. Yeah, yeah. Like at first, it was like, wait, does he? Because it had been a while since I've watched it. I was like, does do he have kids of his own, or like they're like his little brother or sister or something like that? And 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 then you find out that he has no idea who they are. He just assumes that they're this woman's children that he's talking to. And then we find out that. They're, they're not, not hers. even hers. They're, hers. Um, they're just ha- children unattended in line waiting for Santa Claus, and he's just touching their heads. Well, I mean, even to get to continue the the Donald bashing, when we come we come back from the opening credits, uh, so like Anne takes him off to the side, just like you know, talk to him because he's come to visit her at work, and he says something like he actually says out loud, "No Santa Claus." Like there's no Santa Claus, and then Anne's re- Anne's reaction to that is like this what (laughs) Mm. which makes me so like on two levels first of all you know you're saying that in a department store in the santa claus department like don't go around blabbing that there's no santa claus right second of all it always fascinates me when sitcoms that are ostensibly for the family go on and blow up santa's spot because it happens so regularly and it's really a toss-up whether or not the episode at the end of the episode is going to come down on the side of like wait a second that guy with a beard i hear sleigh bells you know Mm -hmm. uh because like the full house the very the full house episode that i discussed last year ends with stephanie getting hardcore proof that santa exists and then they don't bring that up again ever (laughs) and i'm like man if if i spent a christmas and found out that santa claus was fucking real (laughs) Like you'd never, I would never shut up about this every year. If, that would it if, would psychological damage. If Urkel can arrive in your backyard on a jetpack, then I think yeah. canonically Santa Claus is real. Yeah, the and TGIF that, universe yeah. is filled with flights of fancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is when Anne like has to tell the story about like why this random mom is there, and even Donald's like, so like her son that you're friends with 
is like this tall and she's like no more like this tall and she like brings his hand down lower because he's an eight-year-old he's now 11 but uh so we flash back to the story that she tells three years ago when she was a teacher at a boarding school you don't want to talk about this gift at all first wait what is the gift that he comes to bring her it's well it's the well it's oh no she gives the gift it's the gift from from the the mother mother. the mother gives her who is a horrible person (laughs) oh yeah yeah as we as we learn later but you don't know it it's just like a hamburglar shirt yeah, <laughs> yeah, but Anne seems delighted by it, and it's no, no, but it's like it's it's this tiny shirt that's it's like a long sleeve, you know, not a like not a, not a blouse, but like a long sleeve crew neck shirt that yeah. has like black and white stripes on it. And I was like, oh, a Hamburglar shirt, great. <laughs> Thanks for giving up your holiday, and well, we'll get into it. Yeah, uh, so basically, Anne worked as at a boarding school. I'm going to assume as a drama teacher is what I my because like she leaves to go be an actress. And also we first see her as she is welcoming all the kids off the stage of the Christmas pageant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my assumption is she's probably like a drama teacher there. That makes sense. So this is this three years earlier. So is this canonically the earliest like that girl adventure? Uh, probably and she's relating it or are there are are there other episodes where she Mm. tells stories from hey this thing happened two years ago maybe i don't know because i've not seen that many there's also a paul lind one that i've seen where he plays a shoe salesman i I just think it's it's fascinating that when within the first season there's a (laughs) hey this happened three years ago and and i don't know that there's necessarily any reason it couldn't just be now, except that they don't have other episodes where she's a, a teacher. Right, yeah. Like, but, like, I don't know. For, yeah, like, I mean, for the week, she like could have... She, yeah, she could have been, like, subbing as the drama teacher over the holiday at a New York school. I mean, maybe right. it's because she lives in Manhattan, and the writers were like, well, we have to get her out of Manhattan, because it's, like... Part of the charm, I think, of this episode is it being so remote. Mm-hmm. And being very like secluded and like kind of like cavernous and yet cozy, right. cavernous yet cozy. Uh, so maybe maybe that was the reason to get into James L. Brooks's head. And it just it's also fascinating because um, and not just the flashback, but when we when we actually get to to meet uh, and in this episode when she's talking with Donald off to the side. You're, you're like if you haven't if you hadn't been watching these episodes in a row like me I just came to watch this one episode yeah after having not watched them for a while um, remembering oh yeah Marlo Thomas she sounds like she's forty <laughs> at least uh, in these episodes and then she you know she she uh, looks like Audrey Hepburn like in the intro and then all of a sudden yeah. she opens her mouth and it's like oh right the cigarettes yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> I also I always like pointing out that so Marlo Thomas, you know, in 30 years from this episode airing, will be playing Rachel Green's mother on Friends. And it's so interesting because like Anne Marie and Rachel Green are so similar, like she's like a prototype of that. Yeah. You can view Friends as the Rachel show because she is the one that like in the pilot breaks off her wedding, comes in like wearing a wedding dress. Like she's the one that has the inciting incident that starts off the series and she grows over the 10 seasons. And it's so it's such great casting, you know, of them to look at who's like a precursor to this. Oh, obviously Marlo Thomas. And then what I also love is in the season three Thanksgiving episode, Phoebe is wearing a that girl T-shirt. So it's like. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> everything is connected um so one of the kids that comes off stage is a little boy dressed as a tree named tommy tommy phillips i do believe and as soon as he says the word tree if you're obsessed with christmas 
It will ping. If you're a human being. Oh my God. It will ping. In the Western world. <laughs> so many note, like alarms will go off that this is the voice of fucking Linus. Tommy, aren't you going to take off your costume? Yeah. But it was fun being a tree. <laughs> yeah. From all of the 60s, I think all of the 60s Charlie Brown specials. But... Pretty much. It was like he's at that. I was like, at, that's at least the Linus from the Christmas special. Yes. He's a year older. That's it. Like the Christmas special came out in 65 and this is 66. Yeah. yeah so it like I was like, at least that. And so I had to, I had to check IMDb, obviously. And then it was like the, they list like all of them. And I feel like the, they shuffled those child actors around it was always cool that the peanut specials had kids playing you know like like actual kids yeah it really adds a charm to it to hear Mm -hmm. like i think what was probably a (laughs) seven-year-old saying all that linus but i but it's amazing that he was like this is linus like there have been multiple charlie browns and multiple lucy's but like and and there are some more iconic lucy's (laughs) than others but um as you will know from watching other sitcoms but um i think uh, like I was like, that's lines. Like I don't even have to look it up. I, I mean, I'm going to look it up later just to get figure out the years and everything, and yeah. <laughs> see how many he did. But I was like, that is definitive. I I would know that lisp anywhere. Yeah, I freaked out the first time that I watched it and did. I mean, like you sent me a Twitter DM of just like Linus. <laughs> yep, <laughs> like, I was like, that's Linus. I mean, this is uh, this is also 100 percent why I wanted you to do this episode is because of gotcha. this kid. And I I will say I think I love this episode as much as I do almost specifically because it has Linus in it. Okay. Like, I think, like, that the Peanuts Christmas special is the greatest piece of Christmas pop culture to ever exist. Oh, my. I mean, do you dis... What's, what else is there? I mean, I... Sure. I mean, I, you, you know, you got your ba- your, your Rankin and Bass stuff. You yeah, know, You yeah. got your RuPaul specials and everything like that. You got. Oh, I thought you said RuPaul specials, and then no. I realized you said Rudolph specials, but, you know... Either way, not necessarily part of my childhood, but I'm sure part of other people's childhood. Sure, uh, um, you got you know you got it's a wonderful life, but uh, no, I think I think it's super iconic. It's definitely up there in the top three. Yeah, and and to hear that voice, and to also like put to put a face to the voice, and also have it also be like that's also Linus. Like I think Tommy Phillips feels a lot like a Linus in a way. He mm. has some real, I mean, one of the very first things he says, so like in this first conversation that he has with Anne, uh, which which feels like maybe the first conversation they've ever had one-on-one, which is also kind of interesting mm. that she's mm-hmm. apparently like instructed them in doing this pe- plagiarism where, where he plays a tree. She compliments him on his swaying and he was like, no, actually it was just the pine needles. Like I was itching. <laughs> And everyone loves the swaying, too. The swaying comes up multiple times. <laughs> mm-hmm. But in this first conversation is where he brings up that he's like, no, oh, she's like, aren't you like excited about Christmas? And he says, like, I'm waiting to see what goes wrong, which is so heartbreaking. I guess he's actually Charlie Brown. That he's sounds not a bit Charlie Brown. He's yeah, Charlie Brown. <laughs> But, yeah, he talks about how he's, like, never had a good Christmas because... Bum bum bum. His mother is an actress, and they are always on set for Christmas, which is so which sad. Is... <laughs> I mean, at this point, the kid's old enough that he could be traveling with her. Yeah, it does honestly feel like he. The only reason he's in a boarding school is because his parents are actors. Because I, I get the impression they say his mother's still on the film, but later on they say like his parents. I don't know. It feels like he's the child of maybe two actors. 
Because if only his mother is an actor, then his father should be with him. Right. Oh God. So like, yeah, they're 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 um they're interesting parents. We'll say that. They're yeah, very very interesting, and and it makes you like you know you don't you don't see that woman again. Probably no. for good reason. <laughs> um, in in the episode, like you don't see her in the like they don't um they don't bookend the episode. Yeah. You know, it's just you see her waiting in line to give the gift to her and you don't see their encounter either because that could all that would also be interesting. Like, what what would that encounter be like? Right. It's also weird say? that <laughs> she isn't waiting in line with Tommy. Right. Which yeah. I guess like structurally, you don't maybe you don't want to spoil all the jokes that you get because they make a lot of not good jokes, but like they get some comedy mileage off of Donald not knowing you know, whose kid is who, how tall is your friend? Like, so if you have Tommy there, then that undercuts a lot of the jokes that are in the cold open. Right. Um, but also it's like, okay, Tommy's mom, I am, we're presumably they're spending this Christmas together, but she's also at Santa and he is not there. And he is, he is, well, he also is 11 at this point. Maybe he doesn't go see Santa if he's 11. Cause it's not right. It's cause it, cause it's, it's three, three years, years later, later. Right. Yeah. So maybe, maybe that's why maybe, but then also, don't you want to take your kid to go see, the person that saved his Christmas. Right. Oh, it's, mm. so yeah, he's waiting to see what goes wrong and it's very, very sad. Uh, then we go and we get the scene between the other voice actor that's in this episode, which I don't know how big of a poof oh. you are. Oh yeah. Yeah. Of course. Right. And, like, uh, uh, 12 the, angry men as well. Uh, <laughs> or your number two. Bob Newhart show, uh, Mr. Peterson is what I, uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, he's covers John Fiedler is in this episode as I'm assuming like the principal of the boarding school and uh, he, uh, breaks it to Anne that he has bad news for Tommy because while Tommy is under the illusion that he's going home for Christmas, the, you know, the movie's done. They just got a call that those parents, they're still shooting. I'm afraid I have some bad news for Tommy. His parents aren't coming home for Christmas. Well, how did you know? Tommy said something might happen. They're making a film. It's behind schedule. That poor kid. Christmas. They're not coming home for Christmas. Also, I feel like there's got to be union laws against that. Mm. Right. (laughs) Like, working on a holiday. Um, Yeah. It's a it's a it's an odd little indie film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in between that, we have another scene with uh, Anne and another kid, Roger, who I wrote down in my notes. He's the bug kid with the big eyes. Yep, big eyes. That's yeah, what I. That's, that was my takeaway as well. They're huge. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're almost upsettingly large eyes. <laughs> he comes in and gifts her, gives Anne uh, his bug collection, because I guess he can't take it home with him. And they have a nice Which little... Which is weird, because we find out later that he lives, like, down the street. Yeah, he lives literally just down the street and could have, uh, I don't know, could have probably left. Well, bug collection is also dead bugs. Couldn't he just leave them in his room, maybe? Who knows? Maybe he did that previously, and that awful groundskeeper, like, just tossed them. yeah. The groundskeeper. Like, so he needs someone through. who can appreciate the bugs, and yeah, yeah. Uh, so Anne comes up with the first plan, and she's like, "I'm going to take Tommy home to like be with my parents." And she like she maybe does the mistake of telling Tommy all this before getting the okay. Oh yeah. <laughs> Which I also like. Anne is very sweet. Like if you only watch this episode, you come away with the impression that like Anne, her heart is the hugest heart 
of anyone's. Yeah, she's she's very big hearted, but she's she's also very young, and she like you know, yeah. and especially this is prior to season one, so she hasn't learned any of those lessons yet and forgotten them between episodes. How episode. old do you think? So I don't even know how I should have looked up how old Marla Thomas is, but it, like this takes place. That girl, she is young. Like mm-hmm. it seems like she is a young character. Like it's a it's it's a woman like her first you know flirtation with independence and this is three years before that but she already has some teaching certification of some sort like maybe she so doesn't she, so she did have some post high school schooling. yeah unless she is yeah i'm also trying to think if it's possible that she's like a volunteer at the boarding school or like you know, if she's like just helping out, but no, because they say, so she then goes, she's like, you're going to come home with me. There's a lot of kids. You're going to have a great time. But then she goes to John Fiedler and, and he's like, I'm sorry, but I can't. Our insurance only covers like the children has like have to be in a mile radius, mile radius of the school. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so he can't. And even though, and she even says like, but I'm a teacher. So like, she is definitely like a teacher, teacher. there, not like a, uh, so she's got to be in her mid twenties probably. At that point, I would say younger than that. Yeah, so I would say this is like her first professional thing out of definitely, college. definitely, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Uh, and he has, she has to go and tell him like you're, you have to stay here, and he, he takes everything in such stride. I want to say that this little kid is such a good actor. <laughs> he, Chris Chris Shea is his name. He's such a good little because he projects this like. Res- there's like a resignation to his performance and I'm saying yeah. this of like mm-hmm. an eight year old um, where he's like you know what like I won't be alone like the groundskeeper will be here I've done this before <laughs> and it's really crushing and that's when Anne comes up with plan number two which is she's gonna stay with him which is where I have uh, oh no no oh I, I didn't say my first my favorite line of the episode which is also what I referenced in the cold open so when Anne yep. is breaking the news to him she says, like, To be perfectly honest with you, I guess you could say it's bad. You can't take me home with you. Is that it? Yes. You don't like me? Oh, of course I like you. It's the insurance company. They don't like me? No, <laughs> they like you. That's maybe, like, my only laugh-out-loud moment of the episode. Like, I think that's such a funny, cute little moment. Yes, it is. It's <laughs> And he's just so matter-of-factly. Yeah. Like, and because, like, once she says... You know, I've got some bad news. He's like, I'm, I'm not. Oh, okay. I, I've, I've been through this before yeah. in my young life. And, <laughs> he's seen oh, a lot. So, so now he's like going through. So he's like, what is it? You don't like me? <laughs> <laughs> Which you have to wonder. Has he said that to his mother in previous years? That Definitely. seems like the case. Definitely. Um, oh God. Yeah. And also, when he mentions when he brings up the the groundskeeper. I was like, oh, this is where Stephen King got The Shining from. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's, yeah, like th- there is a very – so two like larger notes about this episode that I think – so the first one being I enjoy it when there is a level of creepiness to Christmas. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> well, and just and it, it's all because – not creepiness, but like – I, I do believe that Christmas is also a melancholy and a scary time. I think that Christmas is so beautiful because it is the melding of all of these very disparate 
traditions and religions and iconography all together all at once you know yeah, it's, a, it's a very postmodern uh, understanding of yeah. christmas as being you know it has, it has that high suicide rate it yeah. has you know, a lot of people are very sad um you think about and it, now it's a thanksgiving movie but planes trains and automobiles right. like you know there, there are people who it, it, it the holidays it makes it very difficult and plus you've got you know in modern times we have an understanding of seasonal and disaffective disorder mm-hmm. and stuff like that uh, That's why so the Charlie Brown Christmas special is so good because it is from 1965 and it hits on all of those notes. You know, it. it There's even, so like, much pressure for ugh. Christmas to be special and joyous. And as you get older and some of the, the magic of Christmas slips away or mm-hmm. it gets, you know, a little bit harder to capture that. And, you know, you're you're sitting there with with all of your gifts and there's there's a, there can be this empty feeling that, you know, I got everything that I wanted, but that's not enough to fill this void. in me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is so beautiful. I find it so beautiful how and this is I mean, I go on this. I've probably gone on this tear on this podcast before of like, I feel like that. I love Christmas and I also have this weird. I feel like everyone should love Christmas because the people that don't like Christmas cite those exact same reasons for not liking Christmas. And from my point of view, that is Christmas. So, like, I, it's this weird thing of, like, you should be happy about feeling sad at Christmas because that's exactly what the holiday is. But it's you also... Have a, you have a complex palette yeah, for Christmas. It's, it's a <laughs> it time involves when... <laughs> all of the bitter tones, yeah. not just the sweet ones. And so, I like, when people are like, I'm, you know, I'm not celebrating Christmas here. I'm, I'm like, I'm having a bad Christmas. I'm like, I want to give them a hug and be like, yeah, don't put up your tree. That's also how you do Christmas. <laughs> Like, and so like, so that's also this episode has so much of that in it. But then also the other thing that I wanted to talk largely about this episode is how it isn't funny, funny. No, which (laughs) there is a it's so interesting. uh, Like it's a it's a sitcom. It's a situation comedy. There is there is legit canned laughter because this is from the era of sitcoms where they would shoot everything single cam and then actually then force in laughter uh the seven the 70s is when they so like 50s was all live in front of an audience 60s was a reaction against that uh and then 70s was a reaction against the reaction so we're in the 60s version where it's all single cam and also you could not imagine the show being shot on a soundstage this is kind of this is a very filmic episode like it is in a very physical space Mm -hmm. that you couldn't recreate and so there it also feels so uh dramatic and but like gentle it it has an interesting tone that is not what you would think of a 60s sitcom especially one mm. called that girl <laughs> like <laughs> yeah there's you you think i don't know gumption you think sugar plum fairies but no this is a, a very sort of melancholy kind yeah. of the Thanksgiving oh. episode is that because if you want hijinks, that's her running from house to house trying to make like two simultaneous Thanksgiving dinners for her parents and her future in-laws. And it's it is actually like it's very funny, very charming. Uh, Marla Thomas is great. This one is a somber affair, but is so sweet. Uh, I have written in my notes around this point, empathy with a giant heart. <laughs> because when she offers to stay like she has explained how great her Christmas is she's like she has a great relationship with her parents which I think is also odd for a sitcom especially one about like a single girl in the city uh, and she's like they're gonna be all these kids it's gonna be great and then when she sees this one kid who's gonna have a bad Christmas she's like mm, screw it I'm staying with you and it's so sweet I love that so much 
And, you know, and we met, we mentioned mentioned Taxi earlier, and uh, I've been watching it lately. And um, there are some great episodes. Alex Rieger is one of my favorite yeah. uh, sitcom protagonists. Um, Judd Hirsch. He's yeah, because he it's it's very interesting because he like what is his character? His character is like a guy who is living a kind of lonely life, um, and at a, a thankless job, and yet all of his friends come to him for advice. Yeah, and they they flirt with that a lot throughout the series. Um, particularly, there's there's one where Latka starts acting like Alex as one of his, uh, oh, his uh, main multiple personalities, yeah. and they go see a therapist, and oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Latka is as acting out and saying like I I, under, I understand now why I'm always like just trying to give people advice, and but I don't follow my own advice and all this stuff, and I I figure out the secret. And then all of a sudden he loses that personality. He like he slips out of it, <laughs> and Alex is like, "But wait, what? What were you gonna say? Like, what, what was your what is your solution to you know to my, my yeah. happiness? Like, what is your solution to me?" And 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 so I I, I saw a little bit of that in in Anne here, where yeah. it, it's it, it's a it's a much different character, but and and she's much younger and you and know I think Marlo Thomas but, and Judd Hirsch going up for the same parts. <laughs> <laughs> almost because like I, I i like the fact that she yeah. has this this energy for i want to solve this problem mm-hmm. but then she like she realizes gradually that uh, i'm not helping and maybe my intention wasn't entirely like maybe part of the intention was selfish like yeah. because it, this is more about like this kid might have been okay yeah, he'd done it before. He wasn't he'd like done it before, and he was, you know, kind of re- like he was resigned to it. He was sad about it, but like she created more of a problem for herself. Like she didn't. She also what she selfishly wasn't thinking about her own happiness, which it's, is a weird thing to say. Anne is being so selfless, but as we see in a little bit, like it does bring Tommy down, maybe lower than he would have been. Mm-hmm. Um, because she, as you know, as a person who loves Christmas and uh, um, puts a lot of importance mm-hmm. uh, and significance into Christmas, was was ill prepared to create that in a vacuum. Yeah, like she was just like ill prepared to to be sad about Christmas. So it's like actually by her being you know miserable, <laughs> like that also <laughs> like brings it down for him too. And it's all uh, at the at the end of the act break is Anne and Anne has been also I mean maybe this sums it up she's been promising like there's gonna be a great big snowfall on Christmas morning you know, like you know it's gonna be great and then like the act ends with Tommy being like oh look it's getting dark and then rain and it's raining and Anne says how do you build a rain man which is you yeah. cast Dustin Hoffman in 25 years <laughs> um, but like that's that, and so then we start up with the next act, and we're back in the department store, and the, so just to touch in of like, hey guys, this is a story, um, mm-hmm. and so Donald's like, well, what did you do? And Anne was like, well, we, I found what worked, and then we just repeated it. We played seventy four games of checkers, ate peanut butter sandwiches, and like redecorated the tree, and then we get this scene of them like they're decorating the tree for the umpteenth time. Uh, and she's like moving things around the tree. Yeah, and, you uh, know, Tommy he, is he's straightening he's tinsel. Even, yeah, he's even making an effort to like when she says, "Oh, should I?" You know, "Oh, you're you're not." This isn't much fun for you, is it? It's okay. I really enjoyed watching you move the angel around. Should I move the Santa around again? 
We already moved that around a lot. Yeah. I, I love the idea also that when they play those 74 games of checkers, it's not all in a row. It's like a little bit for a while, and then they yeah. try the tree for a bit, and then they eat the sandwiches, and then they go. She's like, and then we'll go back to do the checkers. And like, <laughs> it is such a. I don't know, insightful look at what depression is like, you know, <laughs> yeah, you really find is. a couple of your, your different coping mechanisms and you do a little bit at a time. And then you're like, and then you look forward to doing like, Oh, and we'll do the checkers yeah. like, later, but we'll save it. I like for, when like, they go. So like when they, when she's like, well, you hungry, let's go down and eat. So they go down to eat peanut butter sandwiches for the dozenth time. Probably. And I, I, Marlo Thomas's performance and all this is so interesting yeah. I like because she's like do you want, like there's a sing-songy like un I wrote like unflappable positivity. Mm-hmm. Uh and it's definitely like an act she's putting on, but she like goes down there and she's like do you want All right. How do you want it? Cut in two or fold it over? Cut in two. Cut in two. She's just trying so hard and it's so nice. And there's a moment like she cuts the sandwich in half, he takes it and leaves, and then she like gets the knife out to cut hers in half, and then you see the crack a little bit of like I'm gonna fold it oh. over. Like you can see, like she's maybe giving in a little bit to like, <laughs> or she's like taking the a second of a break. <laughs> like she mm-hmm. can just fold it over; she doesn't have to do it. Um, this is when we find out that the groundskeeper is also leaving because I guess since Anne is there, uh, he asked John Fiedler if he could go spend Christmas with his Christmas Eve with his brother. Or I guess this is actually the twenty third because we have there's two nights in this episode, so this is like the evening of the twenty third. Well, it's probably for multiple days that he's going to be gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he just like runs down like the list of like all the things you need to do, and then is like, "See ya." <laughs> and then I'm like, again, thinking about The Shining. Like, you know, you have you have this caretaker, and there's uh, rules that ultimately amount to busy work, yeah, and routines, and that's exactly what. You know, that's exactly what what Jack had to do in the the Shining (laughs) and um, thinking about this this big place and like the furnace scene like is. Yeah, I was like Stephen King, like even if he doesn't know that that's where it came from, he must have watched this episode. Definitely. And like stuck in the back of his head. She goes down to the furnace into the shine. Yeah. (laughs) And a cat runs across her feet. Well, she goes down and she's like, told me, check the furnace. Oh, check the furnace for what? I like that she's talking to herself. Yeah, and then a cat runs across her feet, and she's like, "Nope, out." Uh, I the the use of space in this episode. This is one like this is such a huge. I mean, again, I don't know where they shot it. I don't know like how big the space actually was, but like the angles they use. There's a lot of wide shots. Yeah. Um, I'm getting to like even the scene in the gym. So again, John Ehrman did a really good job here. Uh, like it's shot from up high in a way. Like yeah, they, they're really doing gem. a good job of showing how big the space is and also how empty. Because right after the furnace scene, she runs back upstairs to them like she's terrified. And she's gonna she wants to is like, I'll read you a bedtime story and he's like just I'm kinda just going to sleep, but okay, cool. And uh <laughs> and she's just she like realizes and he realizes too that she's just scared herself yeah. and she doesn't want to be alone and so she sleeps in the neighboring bunk bed. Yeah. It's really nice. Um, so then the next morning, we we like dissolve it to the next morning where she's on the phone with, I think, her dad. And she's like, oh, yeah, no, he's playing in the gym. And then she hears like a little bit of a commotion, but she hears that the commotion. Like, she's not scared. It's not like this, like, oh, my God, there's an intruder. She's like, oh, wait, there's something good going on. 
mm-hmm. uh, because she I think she hears that it's like another kid. And so it's Roger, the bug kid. And they are playing in an old ass gym, <laughs> which yeah. is what I wrote down. Like they are like it's like this gym would have a medicine ball. Oh, yeah. I'm sure there are like they get on a thing, which I guess is what was a treadmill in the 60s. An analog treadmill. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like what an ad like the abacus version of a treadmill. Like it actually looks like an abacus. <laughs> that is a treadmill because it's a whole yeah. bunch of little rolling pins. And it's not even like kid size. It's no. just like they're I don't know that this is something that I don't know. Some place went out of business and they were like, wait, hey, we'll give it to the boarding school and the kids can use it. Yeah, because it looks even older than the 60s. Like, it's all right. wooden. and But this, this leads to a really quick montage of, like, them shooting basketball uh, and then them doing, like, follow the leader. And I love this scene so much because it is just these two kids who are definitely, like, seven or eight. And they are being aggressively seven and eight. Mm-hmm. Like, they... They do follow the leader, which is like, you know, Seven around or eight the tr- in the 60s, I yeah. should say. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like, uh, you know, stand on the chair, touch the ornament, crawl under this, sit down. And like the two kids, they get to the point like the joke is like, sit on the chair, sit on the chair, sit on the chair. Oh, I have to go. Oh, I have to go. Oh, I have to go. And at that point is where I'm sure the script was like, oh, well, now the two kids will then have a dialogue about, you know, oh, don't go. We're having fun. <laughs> But these two little kid actors scream their lines. On the chair! On the chair! Which mm-hmm. I found, I find so like real and charming. Like uh, Linus, like starts tickling the other kid, and he's like, "No, you can't go. We're having a good time." <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and, and it's so it's so like quick and like chaotic, and you can also see that like Marlo Thomas is playing like so exhausted. Right. <laughs> it's it's such a good little scene, and I like it a lot. It's 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 very bittersweet because it's like it like this it, like it's so simple, and like this is all it takes to keep this kid yeah. engaged. And um, and for a little for a part of the episode, I was sure that the other kid was dead. Um, oh, and it was like a the, ghost. The shining like, thing just, has come. Like, yeah, it was like yeah. I guess it, I guess I'm stuck in that. Didn't but. you hear? He died because he gave up his bugs. <laughs> yeah, and just and we just found out he's just like a weird kid, and he's he's Jewish, and that's it. That's like yeah, he that's doesn't have go. doesn't have Christmas, but like he hangs out. Um, so hit, so the so basically his thing is he he goes to this boarding school. And I guess he stays there during the the term, the semester or whatever. But even though he lives. on holidays, he goes back home, which is like down the street, down the block or whatever. But on the weekends, he works out in the gym yeah. <laughs> or like hangs there, presumably alone. But also, yeah. it's kind of that's kind of curious because if Linus spent <laughs> the time there last year. Why didn't he see the kid? Oh well, the maybe kid. maybe the kid's a new. Maybe he's maybe this is his first, his first yeah, Christmas okay. season. Okay, yeah. Maybe you know. Maybe that explains why he's so creepy and collects bugs. <laughs> he moved to a new place and was like, "What's my thing gonna be?" Oh, it's gonna be bug kid. 
choose wiser. So this is where, like, after he leaves um, is where the depression hits Tommy again. And he's kind of like, I'm just going to go upstairs and study comics. And this is where Anne has the revelation that, like, like, honestly, I cried real tears (laughs) watching this uh, this morning at this point. Because Anne realizes that, like, he needs to be with a family like Mm -hmm. her selfish her selfless act doesn't solve what he needs which is he needs you know parents kids like he needs that she can't give that to him but she can because she can she calls roger's parents and is like hey would you guys mind having tommy for christmas which totally like sacrifices her like so he goes over there he's so excited and he's like, oh, I'm so, but you're going to have to spend Christmas alone. And that's when I started, like, I ah, I just love this moment so much. She mm-hmm. has to stay because she has to do all this, like, maintenance caretaker stuff. She can't go. Uh, and also, like, she doesn't need to be there. What he needs is this family. So she isn't, and she gives up. She gives up her Christmas for him. And right. then the, the act ends with her. She grabs the angel. She turns off the television. She grabs the treetopper angel and then just says to herself, Just one night. One Christmas. I'm not a kid anymore. Blackout. Like fade to black, <laughs> yeah. and you you, th- and it's it's sort of like she's the one who feels it more deeply because she's had Christmases. Yeah, he's like it's a big mystery for him, and obviously he's a kid and he's alone, so it's sad. But like he hasn't had like something to compare it to right. other than having Christmases in like a like a hotel, hotels like, and he's, like he's had that before. Yeah, you know. Um, but for her, like she's, and that's, that's sort of the thing is, and then that's like the kind of the, the, I don't want to say the danger or like the, the, that's the, that's the dark secret of Christmas is that it becomes so difficult because you, if you grew up celebrating Christmas every year, you've built it up in your mind as this thing. And obviously as, as an adult, you can never like recapture that unless you're able to view it through the lens of kids like if if you're able to share like share that experience with like your own kids or Mm -hmm. you know or if you give you know gifts to somebody else like it's like it you you can't you can't reclaim the feeling of oh my god look at all these presents it's great you you have to just you have to just empathize with someone else yeah and that it just i think it's just such a beautiful moment um that sacrifice, that Christmas sacrifice, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is also what makes like that makes this such a good Christmas episode to me is that that selflessness. Ugh. So I just yeah, um, I think it's a I think it's it's like deceptively a very a, a very Christmassy Christmas episode with a very Christmas message to it. Yeah, but it's like it's 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 very non-traditional in the sense that it's about loneliness it's about it's about like the realities of christmas 
and it's not jam packed with like you you know it's yes, not like it a does. family matters one where it's like Santa's real here's your perfect gift here's a surprise snowfall here's which is which is maybe why it's it 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 does behoove them to have you know the bookends of her being the Christmas elf <laughs> yeah. with yeah. with Santa and like so you have some semblance of the traditional what you know, Christmas and and the the you know the commercialism of it and everything and 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 all the iconography of it, um, and that helps both make it a Christmas up ep- make it qualify as a Christmas episode, <laughs> but then also it's it's a great contrast to this story from three years ago where you know it's it was about the the lack of Christmas yeah um, yeah the sacrifice sacrificing a Christmas so that someone else could have it. Oh, which is my kind of, that's my kind of story. <laughs> I love, uh, the next morning. So Christmas morning, we, so that fades out commercials play, get some ads for like cigarettes and monopoly. I don't know. It's 1966 shampoo. It's shampoo. Um, and we come back up and it's Christmas morning. Marie's like, she's, she's rebounded. She's on the phone with her dad. She's like, no. Yeah. And then Tommy comes back while she's on the phone and he is just like, he says, thanks for getting me invited, which is so I don't know I don't know why that line strikes me as so funny uh, I think it might I think it's a little bit formal it's like thanks for getting me invited over there it's it's mm-hmm. a little bit um, I think it's so precocious and like fun and and then they like he says no they didn't have a Christmas tree they're Jewish and he has and you know it's the best Christmas ever but they like they the fact that they're Jewish also makes it so much sweeter and that like he's like they yeah. celebrated Christmas just for me and I again like cue the tears again it's like everyone is great except for the i don't know why roger's parents make him go to a boarding school if he literally just lives a walking distance away right maybe he doesn't stay overnight maybe i don't know i don't know but yeah it's i like the episode ends with like everyone except for tommy's parents is great like I'm so glad that those the neighbors that Roger's family gave him a great Christmas and he's so happy and you know I'm glad that you know Anne bounced back she gets to spend some of Christmas Day with Tommy it's good maybe Roger's parents work nights and oh, so maybe. they're not there and so like I don't know maybe they're like uh, maybe his dad's a senator or like something yeah <laughs> like, sure you know traveling job. Uh, and then, yeah, then the episode ends with, um, we're back in the department store and it's like, that was that Christmas. And then, uh, Santa's dealing with a crying kid and Anne's like, I gotta go. I'm Santa's helper. And that's it. Yeah. It ends on a crying child because like they don't, they also don't resolve that bef- like before oh, yeah. they fade to black. Like the kid is crying through that. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's about the gritty realities of, of Christmas. <laughs> Yeah, and that's that is our uh, magical Christmas tale. Are you ready for some uh, must-have facts about this episode? I, I, I hope so. Oh my God! Yeah, get ready. It's gonna blow okay. your light. Now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So yeah. the ratings for this, uh, who knows? Um, the That girl was never in the top 30 for all uh, five of its uh, seasons. Mm-hmm. So which is... Uh, kind of crazy that it was what never was a top it, 30 show. It, you know what it was going up against? Uh, well, the top so the top five shows of this TV season, the 1966 to 67 season, was number five, The Jackie Gleason Show, four, The Lucy Show, three, The Andy Griffith Show, two, The Red Skelton Hour, and the number one show was Bonanza. Okay. So yeah. I think that, I think earlier you said like that girl was a little ahead of its time, and I think, yeah. Compared to those shows, I think it is ahead of its time. And it's, I mean, if, if other episodes are similar to this one, I think, and, and memory serves that, it, I mean, I don't want to say that it's like challenging television, but uh, they were going for something else and yeah. it wasn't necessarily feel good all the time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, me, me I, you know, I, it would be, it would be fascinating to see, you know, some of the, 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 the mass opinion on that girl like it, did they deem this as like oh she's you know sinful you know yeah like is like where i mean like it's weird you know uh she's in new york city this is also right. an era of very rural television because this is yes. the i mean this is the uh big rural wave of beverly hillbillies and andy griffith show is very much late 60s maritone more is a reaction to that so that girl's like this weird outlier of like she's a single there's no kids in it and then the episode where there is a kid in it, the parents abandon the kid. <laughs> so mm. I could see where, like, this is not family viewing. Um, mm. So the ABC Thursday night lineup that this aired as part of is a night of TV that I would die for. Um, so it started off with Batman 66. Okay. Followed by F Troop, Bewitched, That Girl, some show called Love on a Rooftop. And then okay. uh, ABC Stage 67, which was an, a weekly anthology drama, um, every week a new hour-long story. Oh, wow. Uh, but, like, Batman, F-Troop, Bewitched, and Batgirl, I'm on board. Also, bizarre lineup. That is crazy. I mean, I was thinking about it, you know, earlier this year, just that, like, the fact that there was a wave of, like, hillbilly shows like yeah. people were fascinated with rural america yeah and and like a, a backwards version of that and yeah that's like and i'm just trying to imagine you know now like it's that's crazy yeah and like so that's like so you have a uh a pop art superhero show followed by f troop which is like a wild west sitcom then right. bewitched social allegories about racism through hokey witchcraft <laughs> like and mm-hmm. then that girl a very grounded take on like single light or like uh, young life in the city 
Yeah, I would say, you know, that like it's 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 a it's very mixed there. But like if there wasn't a hot one out, it would be that girl. Oh, definitely. Because, I mean, Batman, like Batman and Bewitched. Yeah, I can see that. They, they sure. Yeah. And then like F Troop is also goofy as hell and also a high premise. Right. Um, yeah, it's very weird. Uh, so this episode was written by James L. Brooks. And this is where I will talk about how uh, this is a sitcom episode that has a sequel, which I find fascinating on a different show uh do you know all this see you about this no <laughs> um so so james l brooks after that girl ends he co-creates uh, mary tyler moore show with alan burns okay. and the season one mary tyler moore episode from 1970 is called christmas and the hard luck kid 2 so uh, they actually put a two Weird. yes okay and so that episode is um, Mary is like super excited about going home for Christmas. And we did it on the podcast last year. And I talked about it with uh, Megan O'Keefe. So everyone go back and listen to that. Uh, so she has to work on Christmas. She, she thinks she's going to go home on Christmas. And Lou has to be like, you know, the news, like, you're not, you're going to have to work on Christmas. And she's like, okay, well, I'll have Christmas Eve then. And then, like, the morning of Christmas, and, like, she plans, plans with Rhoda of, like, cool, we'll have Christmas Eve, we'll swap gifts, and then I'll go to work on Christmas, but it'll be fine. But then, day before Christmas Eve, or Christmas Eve rolls around, and one of her coworkers is like, actually, I never get to have Christmas with my kids, but you don't have kids, can you work on Christmas Eve? And then she's like, ugh, okay, I can't, like, not let you not have Christmas with your kids. So then she volunteers to work on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. So she goes home and has like a 20 minute Christmas with Rhoda and then she goes and then spends Christmas by herself in the office. And that episode also like guts me every year. So too. she is the hard luck kid. She is. But also like, again, she is there. There are so many similar themes of, you know, both Anne-Marie and Mary, uh, Mary Richards are very like looking forward to this Christmas that then they then sacrifice yeah. so that a kid can like have Christmas with a family Uh, And then they have to spend, and they both have these, like, moments of loneliness. These, like, they both of them get these scenes where they're just, like, in a space being alone. And it's really interesting. On IMDb, 36 users rated this a 6.8 out of 10. Okay. Higher, lower, or on the money, upsettingly low. These 36 users are Scrooges that I want to uh, debate. No. I, th- I think they're, these people are, are very limited in their understanding of what <laughs> a Christmas episode can be. Yeah. Also, 36 users is not a lot. So it's a small sample size. Right. Uh, I have no idea how this compares to their opinion of all the other Batgirl episodes. I also just think it's interesting that they took the time to review it, like an, an, an episode of That Girl. And yeah. I, I have... Have you? Do you review things on IMDb? No, or like I. So there used to be a website called TV.com. Yeah. Um, and so this was in college. After I'd watch every episode, I would go and you could rate things on a scale of one to 10. So I would do that after I. And I am crazy and I have an app called TV Time on my phone currently that I do a similar thing with. <laughs> After. I don't think that's crazy. I think, or I, at least, it's fortunate that you got the job that you did. Yeah, and, and that's that also makes partly, it not crazy anymore. That's partly why I do it because there's I have to think about and cover so much television that I need actually something to tell me like when are things coming out? What have I watched? Sure, like etc. So work expense this free app. 
if you didn't have this job and you still did that, then that might be kind of, I would say eccentric at least, yeah. but that's okay. Eccentric's yeah. good. I mean, yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, I would give this episode a, like, a fucking, like, 9.7. Like, that's wow. me. <laughs> like, that's where I would go. That's where, that's where my head is at. I'm going to, I'm going to say a 7.5. Okay. I think, I think it's interesting. I think, but in, 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 in terms of entertainment value, it's, it's, uh, it's not one that I would necessarily revisit a bunch. Right. It, I think yeah. it's, I, I think it's a little, I mean, it's, 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 uh, I, I don't want to say it's like, I don't want to say it's like antichrist where like I watched <laughs> and I'm glad that I had seen it once. And, you know, I have the experience and I have no plans on watching it again. I would it, I think there's a there's a, a gulf there yeah, between yeah, yeah. those things. But so, I, you know, but I, I I enjoyed it and I thought it was very thoughtful, especially given the time. Right. That is the thing that I like. You can't. And I guess this might be why you give it a six point eight. If you're an IMDb idiot, <laughs> that was way too harsh, um, is if you go into this expecting to laugh. Which I understand is a reasonable expectation, considering this is a situation comedy. Um, mm-hmm. You're not going to get it. It's just, I think the tone of it is not what anyone would ever expect. And it's why... Well, it's, keep... it's, it's like with, you know, uh, so at the garage, we watch a lot of sitcoms. We watch, you know, Hulu and stuff like that and Netflix. And um, uh, even before then, we would, we would have DVDs down there and we had, we had M.A.S.H. And my dad would, mm-hmm. would like to watch M.A.S.H. from the beginning, but then stop... At a certain point, because then as, as, you know, as he considers it, you know, Alan Alda gets his fingers in too much of it and it becomes yeah. much more of a, a morality thing. And, you know, it's a, and it gets like psychological and, you know, and, and, and very sort of odd and, and somber. And so he just wants the, you know, the, the slapstick, exactly. and, you know, and, and that's fine. And I, th- and I think that's to- I think that's totally fine. I like a little bit of both. Um, that's one of, that's why one of my favorite shows is taxi because I think it has a really nice ratio, yeah. a really unusual ratio of, I think there's some really sharp comedy in there, but also some, just like some very, like, I mean, Reverend Jim, it's like, it's very sad stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, these are people who are leading sort of miserable lives and it's a very grimy, dirty kind of show. Um, I think that, I think the comedy is great, but you know, and you know, so like that girl, I think it's, they're they're doing that there but it's like it's even more unexpected because it's still it has the veneer well like if you but yeah because yeah if you you look at you know if you look at mash you know you're actually more i think taken aback when it's when it is comical and like oh it's 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 about war it's about it's you know it's about korea and vietnam and it's like you would you would expect it to be melancholy yeah and, you know, taxi like these people are you would expect it to be kind of sad and humdrum, you know, based on the, the themes that they're dealing with. And so with like but with that girl, you would think, oh, it's going to be this effervescent thing. Mm-hmm. And so I can I can understand where people are like, oh, the that girl Christmas episode must be like so bubbly and bright and yeah. and festive. And so when it's not, I, I can see that being off putting. But also, I think that's kind of um, that's that's unfortunate because they were trying something. Yeah, and the the season two Christmas episode is that like it is a it's a it's a hijinks episode. So, who would you say had the must see performance in this episode? I liked. Uh... There's really only two choices, I guess, well, unless you go with Bug Kid. Bug Kid was pretty good. <laughs> he um, was. 
I I like I like how phoned in the groundskeeper is. <laughs> I just I, <laughs> yeah. I like that he's just like, I am just a groundskeeper. I am not in a Christmas episode. This is how it this is hit the button. You probably won't die. I'll see you next week. <laughs> I kind of I kind of like that. Good. Uh, I not gotta, Donald is my answer. Not yeah, definitely Donald. not Donald. Um, I will go. I will definitely say uh, Chris Shea as Tommy, not Linus, just because you must see what Linus looks like and actually see yeah. that voice coming out of a face. Like it's so jarring, but in a great way. Yes. <laughs> also, saying the phrase "a voice coming out of a face" very unsettling. And finally, <laughs> must and other this is, people. And this is a very complex role for a kid yes in this era as well yeah uh finally must other people see this episode especially in the next like week before christmas yes of course yes i this definitely is a, this is a very unique christmas episode that... especially for a show that so like no one talks about that girl it has kind of been lost to the sands of time um, but I also think if you've never seen that girl, you can just watch this episode. It is oh, yeah. kind of the definition of a standalone episode, mainly because the entire episode is her telling a story about a status quo that does not exist within the context of the. And it's like, the it's like a and it's like a Twilight Zone episode that inspired yeah. The Shining. Yeah. <laughs> I'm convinced. Yeah, I I definitely see it. I think that's also why uh, I like it. And you know what? Uh, Shining is more of a Christmas movie than Die Hard. Boom. Uh, that's a whole other thing. Uh, I totally uh, agree. Yeah. Uh, so, where can people find you on the internet? Find all the things that you want people to find of yours. Uh, I am just uh, I'm just on Twitter as a fuzzy typewriter. Um, maybe we'll bring back the fuzzy typewriter podcast someday. Who knows? But uh, it's it's a there's there's a big horizon out there, and we we don't know. But uh, and then I, and then I mentioned themarginscomic.com. You can also find uh, that and uh, the Dreadnought book on Comicsology for pretty cheap so check those out yes well thank you so much for uh coming by and getting your christmas cheer on uh thank you this lovely time of year and uh merry christmas to all the listeners out there that celebrated happy holidays as well jingle jangle and that does it for this year on must have seen tv thanks again to my guest this week paul montgomery for dropping by and talking about that girl and christmas with me Next year, I will be talking about even more shows from the 20th century, hopefully on a much more regular basis. I promise. I promise? Yeah, I'll promise. (laughs) Thanks to everyone for listening all year, and uh, keep spreading the word. Tell people, keep listening, go back and listen to old episodes. Why not? And until we come back with a new episode, I say we, even though it is just myself... I want to hear from all of y'all by, uh, you can tweet me and at must have seen TV. You can email must have seen TV at gmail.com. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr at must have seen TV. And if you like, what we've heard, give me the Christmas gift of an iTunes review. The theme song is Patricia's moving picture by the go team. Thanks to Acast for hosting the podcast. Thanks to all y'all for listening. And I will see y'all next year. I must have seen TV. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.